In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome back Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Coach Nick is one of the most knowledgeable basketball minds on YouTube and shared his knowledge on his impressions of the NBA season so far. You'll get his opinions on Alex Caruso being a game changer for the Chicago Bulls, how to repair the Ben Simmons situation in Philly, and the new look Los Angeles Lakers. And now, Coach Nick. He is the host of B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube. We have the pleasure in welcoming him back, Coach Nick, onto Hootology. How's it going, Nick? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. A lot to discuss and compare when we had you on last year. It's nice to actually talk basketball instead of just the beginnings of everything that just transpired the last couple of years. So let's jump right into it. And I watched a lot of your videos. And one of the the videos you uploaded that really stood out to me was the new rule changes um, that really changed the fabric of the rules in terms of it favoring the offensive player. And I realized this season just, just started as the recording of this podcast, but have you seen just the, the offensive players changing and adapting to these new rule changes? How do you think they're liking them? My guess is a negative reaction on, on their part, but what do you think of the rule changes so far that you've seen? Sure. Well, I mean, I really like the idea that you can't jump like sideways into a defender yeah. who's trying to contest in the air for a foul, a very unnatural basketball move. And, you know, in the new modern era, when we we have to defend by jumping in the air to contest in the air, that's the best way to get the percentages lower, um, you know, to, to be able to then fling yourself into that guy uh, for a foul and get rewarded was always kind of silly. So I'm glad that they're kind of working on that. Steph Curry got caught in the preseason trying it. And, you know, they, they obviously called uh, they didn't. It was a, I believe it was a no call. But what should happen is that Steph Curry will be called for an offensive foul. So I imagine we're going to see some of that. But. The thing I noticed last night in the first two games uh, was that the refs seemed to be letting the players just play overall, like independent of, the, of those of those specific you know rules they tried to tweak. Um, and I, I think that's going to take some adjustment too. If that's really what's going to happen, uh, I'm watching the Bulls right now and the Pistons, and it's like uh, they must have blown five calls in the last couple oh, minutes alone. And so um, I don't know what's going on. I think that they just need to continue working on the, you know training the referees and getting them better. You mentioned the Bulls. Uh, that's my team. And it's been weird to watch them in the preseason and actually like being excited because there hasn't been a lot to be excited about the Chicago Bulls in recent years. But I, I realize it's preseason and it's kind of like how much you take seriously, but they, man, they looked good. And one of the the parts that I thought wouldn't be a big addition, and you did a great video on it, was Alice Caruso. And it seems like he has totally changed their offense. He is going to de into depth. That's why he's going to be a great fit for this team. It's something that we didn't really – we saw glimpses of in L.A., but he's going to possibly be a major part of this new Chicago Bulls team this season. Well, well yeah, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't like he was a stranger to the national stage playing alongside sure. LeBron in L.A., yeah. and they won a title with him. So, uh, But, you know, it, the things he does can go undetected a little bit. Um, you know, there are certain players, like as a coach, you, you get a guy on your team, you're not exactly sure why or how or what he does, but he's always like in the right spot at the right time. It's just a weird talent or a knack to be that way. He's got that uh, like crazy. He tends to always be in the right position uh, to be able to either on both ends of the floor uh, be there to catch and shoot a three-point shot, which was great to see because for him, he didn't shoot that well early in his career. And even though he kind of looked the part of a guy who should be like a lights out shooter. So he's kind of gotten that down and um, defensively, he's got terrific hands. He just had a great play on uh, uh, I want to say it was Killian Hayes driving where you can just see that he is, he is ahead of the play. 
So he's moving his feet. He's gutting him out of the lane. And then it's waiting for him to pull or waiting for him to, you know, gather the ball into the shot. And he just knocks the ball clean out of his hands. It went off of uh, Hayes. They didn't, they blew that call and they gave mm-hmm. it back to the Pistons. But those plays add up over the course of the game and a season to wins. And uh, that's the guy you want on your team. And he's not intimidated. Uh, he knows he belongs. And I wasn't sure for a long time, the very beginning of his career, if he really did belong in the NBA, but man, uh, he has convinced me uh, without a doubt. So where do you think this new Bulls team fits into the Eastern Conference? Um, are they a playoff team? Are they, obviously, I don't think they're a championship contender, but are they in the midway? Or are they just, you know, inching into the play-in game? Where do you think they have their prospects in terms of kind of their, their postseason hopes? I mean, I would say fourth is the is the floor for them because okay. they have that much talent, especially when you're talking about the regular season, which is, you know, uh, a little bit of an easier area to win games and be successful compared to them in the playoffs. Uh, Milwaukee, you know, all of a sudden dropped the gaunt- dropped the gauntlet seriously last night and looked really, really good. They uh, and they've added some players, I think, that are going to make them tough. So um, so they're obviously going to be the top of the class. Philly is going to – we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen with that uh, and that whole distraction of Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, the Nets did not look really good without Kyrie. Uh, they will be good, but I don't see why the Bulls couldn't compete with, you know, the top of the Eastern Conference. And I don't know if they would win a series, but I could easily see them, you know, getting to the second round and then being an extremely tough out for anybody. Remember, Donovan, uh, without a lot to work with, has tended to be able to build up really, really strong defensive teams. And he's continued that in Chicago. Um, so I wouldn't we, they don't, I wouldn't worry about their defense as much because they don't need to be elite. They just need to be in the top, you know, top half, I would say, because they, they should have a very, very elite offense. And so uh, I would imagine they're going to be very, very tough. And, yeah, I would say fourth would be, you know, where they should be, and they could surprise some people and move up a little bit. So you mentioned Philadelphia, so let's discuss that. And I have to say, you've had some tremendous insight on the Spin Simmons situation. And from the get-go, you were pretty much right on the money in terms of saying Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons cannot coexist. I want to ask you, why were people like on the opposite side of things like so enthusiastic about this combination working when it seemed very obvious that it's kind of oil and water in terms of these two guys on the floor, and it's just blown up into like an impossible situation? I mean, I think the mistake was two years ago, they could have realized this and probably gotten the absolute max uh, for, for Ben Simmons. Anybody would have traded for him then. Yeah. Um, and I, it's not, you know, it's hard to say like what specifically I would have seen even then that told me. But I remember talking to NBA people about it and asking them, like, do you think that this pairing is going to get them to the championship or the finals? And, and everyone kind of had a wry smile and, and just would, would shake their head. Uh, but I think it's, you know, what we see now where, is, where he is a guy who shies away from the ball, doesn't want to get fouled because of free throws, won't shoot the ball uh, when he's on the perimeter so his man can really gum up the works. We saw that last night with Russell Westbrook and what his man in the video I'm preparing for tomorrow. Please watch it. I know it's late. It's supposed to come out today, but watch it tomorrow um, uh, or whenever we listen to this, watch it uh, because – you can see how much damage uh, when you can ignore a guy in the perimeter, how much damage that man, uh, that person's defender can do to the rest of the offense. And uh, especially when you get to the playoffs, when you can really prepare that stuff. So uh, that was always a big issue uh, with him and the way he played. It was strange that not a lot of offenses for the role he was playing in the offense would just have him go stand on the weak side near the basket and just kind of stand there and kind of hide. It was weird. Uh, the coaches, I don't think, wanted him to do that, and they might have told him not to, but he would continue to do that. So 
There's a possibility that he doesn't maybe listen to the coaches as much and he wants to do what he wants to do. Uh, it's a possibility that he, um, you know, training wise and why he's not improving is because of that. But I did posit this on Twitter the other day where I wanted to be sympathetic to Ben Simmons because it's quite possible that he's, he's had bad coaching, let's say, for the jump shot. And he, nobody he's worked with knows properly how to teach it. And so it might feel futile to him where he's just breaking, breaking, breaking. I'm working as hard as I can. It's not working. And that can change you. That can make you a uh, an upset person, you know, and a guy on edge all the time. And he, he kind of feels that way now. Um, and any little thing can set him off. And that's sort of what happened with the end of the game seven, um, you know, loss against the Hawks last year. So, um, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around in this in this whole scenario. But um, as it is, um, you know, I, I don't it doesn't sound like neither side wants really to make this thing work at all, even though they had said that they tried, you know, they wanted to make that happen before he showed up randomly. Uh, but it's clear that Ben Simmons wanted to kind of probably get thrown out of practice. And it's clear that Doc Rivers was going to put him in a situation where he was going to have to throw him out, which I don't think was he needed to do that, but he did. And so, so, so now it'll be awkward. It was awkward probably today when they had a practice or when and they're probably playing today, but the, uh, the next practice they have is going to be awkward tomorrow. So you mentioned in terms of his shooting that he, you know, like a puzzle, you're trying trying to figure out kind of what exactly is the best remedy to fix that. And I'm just wondering, he, it seems to me that he has all the resources in the world to, to solve this problem in terms of his affiliation with clutch sports and he's Ben Simmons. So I'm just wondering if he does go to a different team, like what is the probability of that happening? Just because he is physically gifted and just seeing your breakdowns and just seeing everybody break down his game, the guy can ball. Like I just, that's what's so baffling to me. It's not like he's he's inept offensively. Like it's kind of. Right. I mean, he's he has the talent there, but for some reason, it's just not materializing on the offensive end on the floor. So I'm just wondering, in terms of when he does get traded, like is there really? Do you see any team really being the best fit to really extract the positives okay. out of Ben Simmons' game? Well, it's, I think it's really hit or miss uh, what kind of coaching you're going to get from one team to the other, and even specifically with shooting. Um, having studied it as much as I do and also connecting with as many people as I can to learn as much about this and how to communicate, it's two different things. It's really the attention to detail. What are you trying to teach him? And I've seen a workout of his a little bit, and it's not, it's not happening. Like Who he's working with now, they're not, they're not doing him a service. It's his brother and whoever else the, sure. the Clutch Sports is using. So um, – that that's part of it, but then it's also the communication of it. Because remember, if you want to tell anybody, uh, you know, that their their jump shot is isn't working, you're basically telling them like their girlfriend their girlfriend is ugly, and <laughs> yeah. you have to be able to approach that in a, in a in a very specific way so that you're not going to then turn the person off right away. And they're not going to listen yeah. to you at that point. So it's not easy, and it takes um, you know. It takes a lot of um, you know tact to figure out how to communicate that properly in a very detail-oriented way. Um, and the rhythm is really the most important commodity we're talking about. And I don't know if enough coaches recognize how important that is and how to develop that out of him. Because, again, he's probably shooting with the wrong hand. Uh, I don't see that changing. I know Tristan Thompson switched to his right hand or his left hand when he's shooting uh, free throws. Uh, but he's not a perimeter player. We're talking about Simmons needing to be able to shoot from farther out. So uh, I just don't think he'd ever really risk trying to just switch hands like he should. But as a result, you can still help him with the left-hand shooting, um, but the alignment is not there and the rhythm is not there, and that's um, that's really a big issue. Plus, then it becomes a thing where he doesn't mentally want to take the shots, sure. uh, and that's another thing you have to get him o over. But again, I don't blame him. He probably shoots very poorly in the practices too. 
So it's, you know, there's no reservoir of confidence out of that that he can use when he plays in these games. One last question for you on the Ben Simmons situation, and that's Doc Rivers. Um, he seems to be kind of downplaying it in practice, but kind of the damage was done right after just Simmons' last playoffs performance. Is there anything that Doc Rivers can do to reconcile the situation, or he just, just should request to <laughs> trade this guy off my team immediately as soon as possible? Right. Is there any kind of way to like reconcile the situation, or is it just it's done? For my well, Doc's an interesting character because in, in all of this because – he um, he's a former player and he comes from an era where most of those former players would have probably punched Ben Simmons in the face. Right. And they're like, get the hell out of yep. here. But he also has a reputation as being a player's coach. Um, that said, it doesn't seem like he has a goal. And again, I'm not really in these. I obviously I'm not in the practices. I don't know all the details. Some of them leaked out, but you know, it, it sounded a little bit like they were doing some sort of walkthrough with the team. They had a guy like Maxi, whatever, probably playing in Simmons' spot. So then they told Simmons, well, you get on defense, like you go to the, the, the B team, right? And it's probably was a thing that he might have been like insulted by. And Doc probably didn't have to do that, but he was probably looking at Benny, who's half-assing half the whole time anyway. He was like, let's test this out and see how he's going to react by me putting him in the second team, whatever, right? And of course, it, it, it came out badly. Now, back in the day, Kevin Garnett, if he was on this team, would have probably grabbed him by, you know, around the shoulder, oh pulled him in the corner, and had a real heart-to-heart -heart yeah. talk with him. Uh, there is no leadership that's doing that, right? So is the goal to bring Ben Simmons back on this team and actually get him to function and, and play and be part of this team for the next four years like they have him under contract? That's why it doesn't sound like that's the case because, uh, you know, this is what Embiid should be doing. It's probably what Doc should be doing. Doc should have been like, hey, guys, to his assistants, run this drill. I'm going to go talk to Ben on my own. Now, maybe he's tried doing that, but it sounds like Ben's been pretty isolated and not been talking to anybody. Um, and at least he, I think he deserves uh, that and, and to try that. Uh, if that hasn't been done, um, to just break down this whatever wall this is and try and get you, uh, you know, because again, if, if that is the goal. Now, the problem is, is if you have the goal of integrating back into your team and being, a, you know, productive member of the team, then you you don't you're not going to throw them out of practice. You're not going to put them in situations like that, right? Sure. You're going to try and direct them the other way. This is the Ted Lasso version of like what you would <laughs> do with a guy like this. And I got to tell you, like having been on the, the other kind of coach for a long time. And, and kind of been awakened or enlightened by what you know you see in, in that show. I know it's a scripted show, but there are very fundamental um, methods of communication that he's using that we now practice in real life. And it's just a real joy to be able to see it on screen. Hopefully it influences more people, but I don't know if Doc has that in his, uh, in his bag. Do you think, you know, this Ben Simmons situation is, could be a, um, I don't know, a warning, for instance, for other players in terms of kind of the player coach dynamic, just in terms of, like you said, you know, Doc Rivers not handling correctly. And just, you know, it's just, it's just human nature. These are two human beings at the end of the day, and you're, they're on this team for now. And do you think, you know, this could be kind of a case study in terms of how to handle the situation in the future for these new type of players, these Gen Z players. I mean, this is very different from, you know, previous generations of players. They have their own kind of sensibilities in a way that you would normally, you know, talk to a player in this situation, you know, 20 years ago, like you mentioned, it's not going to fly now. This is just not going to happen. So do you think this could be maybe a situation in which, you know, coaches and players could learn from, and maybe it could be a positive towards kind of this type of situation happening again. 
Uh, I would hope so. And I hope maybe like what I'm saying out there and people listening to this would, yeah. would take it to heart. Uh, I know that there's a huge contingency of people like coaches who, who have been doing it for a long time, feel very confident in what they understand and know and don't seem to want to necessarily expand that and, and feel like this is how I would do it, which uh, and would call me weak and we call me, you know, uh, soft and all these different things. Um, when in reality, it, it doesn't really have to go toward you know, the toxic masculinity of like, you know, uh, using the same methods that aren't working with Ben Simmons on me to argue your point sure. when it's really what we're trying to talk about is look at, like, again, like I said, what is the goal? And if you, in a lot of times you'll see coaches not have a goal, that's when they lose, they lose their minds and start just detonating all over their players. They don't have a goal. It's all id, it's all emotion. And they don't know exactly what they're supposed to do to like fix it. So they just have to yell and scream and hope that works. And it probably has worked for them in the past or in their mind, they stored it in there thinking, okay, I've won games. So clearly <laughs> me yelling at these guys like that really must work. And it's not really the case. I, I kind of would argue that it's probably in spite of that kind of stuff uh, that your teams were successful. And there's probably a lot of other ways and other things you're doing that are good that get them to the point where they can win a lot of games. So I hope that we're moving to that. I do feel like the younger coaches are coming in a little bit more open and understanding and, and researching this stuff better. We have more res resources for coaches too. Yeah. You know, hopefully I'm one of, part of that resource reservoir. And so as a result, you know, I remember when I was a young coach, there wasn't, there were books you could read. Uh, but not a lot of other things and other examples to really learn from. So I hope that this, this does something. But, you know, in guys like Doc's, um, you know, uh, generation, generally, and I hate to generalize, but like you'll see a lot of guys that age and older who just don't want, they don't change. That's who they are. They, they've won a lot of games and I get it, but uh, it would be nice to see if they could try another tack and not like not do the throwing them out of practice route and the, grab him by the scruff of the neck and get in his face and screaming and yelling have a talk with them, find out exactly what it is. I mean, it might end up coming to the point where he's like, listen, F you, I don't want to be here. You said some horrible things to me all throughout this playoffs, whatever, and I'm done. But, you know, I, I think if that was the case, then you won't get in these situations where now where it just looks bad for everybody and it's going to delay the trade because other teams are going to be like, whoa, is this guy a jerk? I don't think we want him in the locker room. And it doesn't, make, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And uh, then they're going to be stuck with him, you know, and, and either not paying him or paying him yeah. traction, headache, Bottom line is holding them back from being the best team they can. Let's shift gears. And uh, you mentioned Russell Westbrook earlier, and I think he is very fascinating on the Lakers. Um, there's so many different ways in terms of how this Laker team can go. After recording up this podcast, there's only been one regular season game so far. Tim Legler suggested, you know, bringing them off the bench. I'm oh, like, really? okay. <laughs> I, that was, I, yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm from a very fan perspective. So I want to ask you if that's even like a good idea or is that like completely ridiculous from multiple fronts? What do you think of that, you know, kind of theory in terms of maximizing Russell Westbrook's um, abilities there? Well, he has a, he, his point is probably the overriding point is that there are very specific lineups where Russ can excel in the, on, in this, on this team. Uh, having uh, DeAndre Jordan out there and like Baysmore out there with him, uh, th that's not a great recipe for him specifically. So that's a real problem. And then playing him alongside Rondo is not a great thing either because now they're both competing for who's going to handle the ball, especially if if, uh, if LeBron is out there as well. And it just makes Russ a, a, a more a, more of an inferior player uh, than than his normal uh, production. So that's yeah. that's the real key is how much. How many minutes, what percentage of minutes is he out there? Do you want to have the most productive version of Russ? And so in his mind, he's like, well, that would probably mean he, had, he can't start. But I, I think politically, you could not pull that off 
You know, he would he, yeah. it would be a revolt. He wouldn't be able to handle that. Uh, you know, like Melo can now do that because he's so long in the tooth uh, in his career, but not not Russ. And, um, you know, it, it's a weird thing where Russ was clearly pressing when he brought the ball up because he doesn't get to bring it up that much anymore. He had a nice bank shot on one, but then he had just about decked uh, Damian Lee and almost took his head off on an offensive foul. And then another uh, bad miss uh, layup where, which is like what we've seen from him. Like that's the other thing is the issues we've seen, we saw last night, which, you know, are magnified when you play alongside LeBron. We've seen that all throughout his career. I mean, that's, this is, that was nothing new as far as like missing threes, missing some shots at the rim, making bad decisions, throwing the ball away. Uh, taking weird fouls, like you know, that he's he's done that his whole career. So that's my worry. This isn't necessarily the thing that's like going to get fixed or solved, like yeah. those things. <laughs> and um, when you play alongside LeBron, you know he could turn on you in a in a hurry if he doesn't feel like you can you're up to it. So um, it, it's it's a little bit dicey. You got to give him a few more games to get settled and get Ariza back. I guess I'm not sure Ariza is much of a savior, but uh, also maybe some more shooting with none, who is not like you know an elite shooter. But he's better than what they have now in theory. But, you know, they're, they're missing clearly some of the players they had and that chemistry. And I don't know if they're going to get it back this year. So what do you think is LeBron's patience threshold? <laughs> like when do, you, when do you think we see the passive aggressive comments and yeah. just them kind of sniping each other back and forth? Is it Christmas? Is it maybe All-Star break? Um, well, or do you think LeBron kind of keeps his mouth shut for the greater good of the team? There was a there was already a fast break that happened last night. That was a key, like one of the first nails in the coffin on the fourth, and it was partly Russ like not hustling back, and LeBron was the only guy. And then I think Wiggins lays it up, and you see him get the the ball out of the net and just slam the ball on the ground as hard as he could. Uh, you know, we're we're seeing that he didn't want to lose at home. You know, to the to the yeah. Warriors and to Steph of all people. You know, yeah. he hates Steph Curry. He he disrespects him when he can. I mean, I know they probably have some mutual respect or whatever, but like like I don't know. I, all I can remember is when they. When they won the title and they, they came back from 3-1 and they had a, a Halloween party the next yeah. year. And he had like the graveyard of like Steph Curry. It was so weird. Like sure that, he was living in his head like that. Um, so, you know, he there clearly was upset about that. Did not want to lose that game. And, um, and you know, it was kind of fun to watch the underdog, you know, with a, with a ragtag group of guys playing like a team, you know, sticking <laughs> with it and being down. But like slowly, you know, hanging around and then, then, then stealing the game at the end or not even stealing it. They won going away. So, uh, so I, I, I don't think it. I, I think Christmas is late for for what you're talking about. If it gotcha. continues wow. this way, I bet you it would be, you know, Thanksgiving. Uh, we can see some of the death race stairs um, that you, we used to see from another uh, great Laker, and yeah. uh, that could change uh, the fortunes of uh, many a player on that team if they're not careful. So, what do you think about their championship? I guess aspirations. So, so many people picking them to win the championship, and it's just like. I don't necessarily see it. This the, the West is pretty deep, and the Lakers are pretty unpredictable. I mean, is this kind of mimicking at all the the Lakers of like that mid two thousands with Carmelo and Gary Payton? Is kind of is it similar to that, or is this kind of a different situation? Um, is there any kind of kind of parallels there? And do you think the Lakers are kind of overrated in terms of this being this this favorite coming out of the Western Conference? Yeah, I, I wouldn't favor them. But then again, I always get screwed when I pick against LeBron. And so, you know, that always seems to happen. And, I, you know, I remember I did it when they won the title in the bubble where I was like, this can't be a championship team. I know you have the top two guys, but then like their, their third best player was like was Caruso. And yeah. at that time, I was like, I can't believe that that would be an NBA title team. But the way things all lined up and then they were in the bubble, which really helped, um, you know, they won it. Uh, and it, by the way, we now know that <laughs> Caruso was better than I even thought. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm still not sure if I would be like, okay, he's the bona fide third best player on a championship team. But sure. but um, either way, uh, th- th- I don't think it, it parallels what we saw. Like, I mean, with the Gary Payton, I guess the Carl Malone and the Kobe Shaq year. Um, but um, because, you know, they're in different parts of their careers. Although I guess sure. you're right. I guess LeBron is in that same boat. And we're seeing a bit of the decline of LeBron. We've seen that for the last several years now little cracks in the in the armor but nothing you know major major but enough to be like okay this is probably the year where he alone isn't gonna be able to do it and you notice that both lebron and ad thoroughly dominated last night i mean they had incredible stat lines but ad was nowhere to be found down the stretch and that happens to him where he disappears and um and lebron couldn't do it himself either down the stretch and the uh the warriors one going away so again it's really early laker fans are going to be pissed at even like you know suggest that this is indicative of anything for the rest of the year but I don't know. I've been doing this for a while. I'm looking at what they have here. Uh, I'm looking at what's going to come back when they get healthy, a little bit more healthy. And um, I don't. I just don't get you know great feelings of anything beyond like second round of the playoffs. Um, I want to ask you about the Lakers' opponent, the Warriors. It seems like they're being disrespected, especially when Clay Thompson comes back. I think they could be a huge threat at coming out of the West. What do you think their dynamic is going to be with Clay Thompson coming back to this kind of new Western Conference? Um, do you see the Warriors, you know, sneaking, you know, possibly being a Western Conference representative, or do you think there might be a little bit of a lack of depth there, or Clay Thompson not being the same? Like, what do you make of their prospects this year if things go the Warriors' way? Yeah, I mean, they have to be very careful about looking at Clay as some sort of savior to come in and really uh, elevate that because of the, the the devastating injuries he's gone through. And, you know, he's not there yet, um, and he's, he's not ready to come back for another several months. Uh, so things could change yeah. in a hurry uh, for that. But, like, you know, uh, that, that's a real big question mark for them. Now, if he comes back at 85 or 90 percent, and then everyone else kind of, you know, that just the, everyone else's roles. I mean, Jordan Poole's a 20-point-a-game score in the NBA, as far as I'm concerned. I did the video on him. Uh, I was actually even a few days later than I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be so far up front of everybody on this one, <laughs> and I was busy traveling. I, I kind of missed the day. I really wanted to get it out. But the bottom line is, is uh, you know, he's been proving me right. Last night was another example where he is a smooth scorer, um, you know, had some jitters, and had, you know, he's going he's gonna to play into that role and play better. I think the floor is what we saw last night, which is, you know, 20 points a game. So um, you put Clay on that one, and Clay, you know, plays defense and he can shoot the lights out. Um, and you still have Curry, you still have Draymond, you have, you know, Looney, who's got championship experience. So you suddenly have like a team that's got a lot of that experience anyway. They're not like this out of the blue and should be that surprising. And, um, and they've done some nice things. Damian Lee has been developing slowly yeah. but surely. So they now have guys they can rely on and depend on. Um, and they're, they're relatively deep. I mean, Bielitsa was uh, terrific for them. Uh, he's the guy I really don't think they're going to be able to rely on much at all uh, for more than like the 10 or 12 minutes in a, in a playoff series. But, the, hey, that might be enough to keep them going while Steph is on the, on the bench, for instance. So, um, so we'll see. But I, I am encouraged by them. And they, they certainly would be like, you know, a dark horse to, you know, do some damage i i wonder how far they'd get like you know they should be able to get to like second round of the playoffs no problem uh and then it comes fun because they get hot a yeah, little bit and the exactly. play is playing well and moving well then you know then then no one's gonna want to play them mm-hmm. um last question for you and that is you know dark horse teams to, you know, make a deep playoff run at last year. You know, we saw the Knicks surprise everybody, the Atlanta Hawks. Do you see, you know, any teams in kind of in that, um, you know, spear in, in terms of surprising, you know, fans in the, in the league in terms of, you know, making that playoff run that really no one's paying attention to? 
You know, I mean, I, I would I would have almost said the Bulls. Everyone's paying attention to them, but like they, I think everyone seems to want to slot them lower than where I think they can go. So they could be a surprise team. I'm not sold on the Knicks, really. I don't think they're okay. they're right there yet. I do like that the the Hawks are can are can't be a surprise team anymore, but they're healthier. They're going to be healthier now that they have DeAndre Hunter back. Uh, and then they have Cam Reddish uh, healthy for the whole season. I believe they're all healthy. So, um, you know, they should – and with the experience they got last year, they should, you know, hit the ground running and just be really tough as well. Um, you know, so the surprise teams moving up, like I don't know uh, beyond that anybody else who might surprise me. I mean, the Wizards might actually surprise some people if Beal wants to commit to this and not, like, to get traded. Uh, and they got the pick, the pickup players they got from the Lakers and the Russ trade who make them a lot better. And they already had a couple yeah. nice pieces there as it is. So, you know what? The, I could talk myself into the Wizards, you know, okay. buying for that, you know, that eighth seed and being, you know, somewhere between nine or eight and 12 or whatever and, and playing for that thing, which would probably be a surprise to most people. Uh, and then the West, like, I don't know. I Someone asked me that. And I kind of said, well, what about like Memphis? Can can they be something? And, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Memphis could be the guy. Certainly it'll be exciting to watch. Uh, and maybe they put it together. Well, Nick, this has been a very um, enlightening conversation. We appreciate your analysis always. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media and then anything else you're working on for the rest of the year as well. For sure. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, certainly I, I mean, game breakdowns of like what happens in the X's and O's and the, the, the things that you might have missed in the game. I break down uh, several times a week over on the YouTube channel, which is B-Ball Breakdown. During the games, I'm over on Twitter at B-Ball Breakdown as well. So follow me there, please. Uh, I've got Instagram. I've got um, uh, what else? Do I have, I have uh, TikTok, which I'm, I'm going to start to add even more to. So that's always fun. And um, so, you know, B-Ball Breakdown across all the social medias is where you can find me. And uh, I usually respond. So, uh, you know, obviously, when I, my tagline is it's, it's not a channel, it's a conversation. <laughs> so uh, I'm always looking to have it. Appreciate you coming on to the show, Coach Nick. Thank you very much. Thanks.